If you have a note sheet, you saw that today's a Sam message. It's a standalone message. I love those because um, it's when we don't really have a series. And it just, you know, we always hear God, of course. But this is when I just get, we just get to like, hey, God, right today, what do you want to say, right? Or I'll look back at messages I've preached before, and I'm like, man, that, that's, we need to do that one. We need to talk about that again today. And so this morning, it's one of those messages. Um, I have to say, Father's Day is a little bit intimidating for me. I don't know. I'm not sure how mothers feel on Mother's Day, but I know how I feel as a dad on Father's Day. It's like, you're, I'm going to get honored for a job that I'm not sure I'm doing well. You know, it's weird. It's, um, maybe, mom, maybe moms just know they're doing a good job, so they're just like all humble, like, oh, no, I don't deserve it. But yes, I really do. <laughs> I don't know. But like as a dad, it's like, happy Father's Day. I'm like, ah. Oh. I'm the best you've got. I'm so sorry. It's like, I mean, I don't, I don't know very many dads that would say out loud, I'm nailing this dad thing. I mean, I'm killing it, right? Like, there's, there's subpar dads and then there's me, right? I don't know very, very many dads that say that. Um, your failures may not look quite like these guys. I brought some pictures just of some father fails that we can look at. Um, you probably saw that on, you probably saw that on our Facebook page this week, just some dad like licking ketchup off his kid. Like what is up with that? Um, that's a, that's a father fail. I love the terrified look. Um, so I don't know if you can really tell what's going on here, but he's just dropped a sparkler on his child's foot. That's not good, but this might be a worse thing, right? Um, father's happy as he's smoking something, right, with the kid there. So, um, so families, listen, we're not saying whether you should or should not celebrate Halloween. We're not saying whether you should or should not go get free candy at your neighbor's house. What we are saying is whiskey and cigarettes might not be the best costume tandem for you. And I just thought we would show that at the end because it kind of sums up all the ones that we, all the ones we just looked at. My father is a deeply flawed human being. Um, yes, yes, we are. Mm. So fatherhood, tough, right? Hard job. Um, we can all, I'm sure, at least the dads in the room relate to coming up short. I think we feel the pressure because. Um, we realize how critical our role is. I'd like to think that we know how critical our role is. Um, America is starting to realize that as well. These are some, st- some statistics that will depress you at first. 43% of children in America live without a dad. 43%. That's, that's almost one out of two. Children in America are growing up in a home without a father. Um, it's huge. The consequences are huge. If you, there are studies. If you find these studies, you look at them, you'll see that the percentages of runaways, suicides, teen pregnancies go up significantly when there's not a father present in the home. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> like, our culture even gets it. Like, if, if those stats don't drive it home, um, I ran across this 38-second clip. Listen closely. Jack the volume up. We want to make sure they hear all this. Go. And that'll break your heart. Even culture gets it. Even a child gets it. I need a father. And so, like, I'm not just right up front. It's a downer of a way to start a message, isn't it? Because, like, if you're here and you've got children that are in a home without a father, whether by choice, by death, by whatever, then I've just made you feel horrible. The good news is this. We're going to see today in the life of another father who was a failure bigger than any of us that God's not stopped by any of these statistics. 
There's hope beyond statistics. Statistics are just that. But God is a redeemer, right? We say this all the time. If you're breathing, you're redeemable. If we're breathing, we're redeemable. That's everybody, even children in a home without a father. We're going to look at a man named David. 2 Samuel 24, 18 through 25 is what we're going to read. We're going to kind of walk through that. Um, let me just say this. this. This is a story about a father who failed. So I don't know what your failures are as a dad. I mean, I, I, I was going to share some of those stories today, but we just don't have time, right? I've got so many ways that I have failed as a father um, from pushing my kids almost down steps to screaming Bible verses at them. I mean, I've got stories like I'm not father of the year sometimes, right? Now, those were all a long, long time ago. Stop judging me. Last week. Okay, so let's just keep, keep just moving this right along, right? The man that we're going to read about today, let me just tell you his backstory. He, he's, he had an affair. The affair led to murder. And all that led to the death of the child that was born in the affair. So unless you're a lying, murdering adulterer, you're a little bit better than the man that we're going to read about, right? But here's the story. Here's how God redeemed him as a father. Here's how God redeems us even when fathers in our lives fail. Let me just read it to you, 2 Samuel chapter 24. We're going to read 18 through 25, and then we'll kind of pick it apart real quick. On that day, Gad went to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruanah the Jebusite. Crazy names back then. Verse 19, so David went up as the Lord had commanded through Gad. And when Aruanah looked and saw the king and his men coming toward him, he went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Verse 21, Aruanah said, why is my Lord the king come to his servant? To buy your threshing floor, David answered, so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Backstory, there's a plague going on and a lot of people are dying and this is what he's supposed to do to stop that. Verse 22, Aruanah said to David, let my lord the king take whatever pleases him and offer it up. Here are oxen for the burnt offerings, and here are threshing sledges on ox yokes for the wood. O king, Aruanah gives all this to the king. Aruanah also said to him, may the lord your God accept you. So just kind of picture this. I want to buy your threshing floor, and the guy that owns it said, no, 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 take it. And oh, you want to you sacrifice to God? And here's all the stuff you need for the sacrifice. Like, it's like... Sacrifice in a box, right? I mean, here you go. And this is what David said, verse 24. The king replied to Aruanah, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. If you're an American and you're breathing, you should highlight that verse. I will not sacrifice to my Lord, the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for them. David built an altar to the Lord there, sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then the Lord answered prayer on behalf of the land, and the plague on Israel was stopped. Here's, here's what we got to ask ourselves. How does an adultering, murdering, lying failure of a father get to this point? And what we'll find out as we go through this is we're talking about building legacies. What's happening in this one passage is going to impact generations to come. A failing father is going to impact generations to come. So we've got to ask ourselves, how did David get here? And, and what we're going to see in this passage, he did three things, okay? He did three things. I love this message, okay? You ready? You got your pens ready? I want you to jot these down, okay? The three things he did. I'll tell you what they are first, and then we'll walk through them. He obeyed, he paid, and he played. Those are the three things that he did. 
So dads, you feel like you're failing God. You feel like you're failing your family. And depending on what day of the week it is, all of us feel that way at some point. These are the three things. If we do these in our lives on a consistent basis, we're going to find ourselves exactly where David is right here. Okay? We're going to find ourselves leaving a legacy for our family. He obeyed, he paid, and he played. Let's start with obeyed. Um, 2 Samuel 24, 19 says this. The, the word was in 18, go up and build an altar to the Lord. And verse 19 says, very simple verse, so David went up as the Lord had commanded through Gad. He, he went up in obedience. He didn't say things like, um, who's at Ruinah? Why threshing floor? He just went up. I mean, if, I, if we could take a poll right now in the room, how do you do with obedience? One to ten. One is terrible. Ten is, I'm so good, I'm the best in the room. I mean, where would you put yourself just with obedience? Just obedience. I, it could be kicking and screaming obedience, right? Sometimes that's, like, I, I tell this all the time. When I was living in Columbia and God called me back to Albemarle, I came kicking and screaming. Like, the call of God on my life looked like this. God with the rope tugging me as my heels were dragging. I mean, I stood in front of the church the first Sunday I was back. The pastor said, you got anything you want to say? And the first words I said to my church were, I can't believe I'm here. Not a good way to start. I know kicking and screaming obedience, right? So how do you do with just obedience? Whether it takes you a day, a month, a year to work through it, and you eventually say yes, how do you do with that? And then let's take one more step in this passage. Did David obey? Yeah. But how did he obey? Instantly. The word was go up, and he, it says right there, so David went up as the Lord had commanded. How do you do with instant obedience? I heard a story one time about a missionary. So they're out playing in the field, and the kids are playing, and the missionary just yelled out, duck! And his kid hit the ground, and as soon as it hit, his kid hit the ground, a cobra struck right where the kid had been. I kept thinking how, like, it might not be a true story, because I think if that was a true story, the kid dies. Because the kid's like, why? Duck for what? You can't tell me a duck. Dead, right? I think that's probably a story that parents make up. Eat your green vegetables. There could be a cobra. Eat them now, right? It's like just, man, instant obedience. Somebody tells me, like, look, I, I was a worship leader for so many years, and even in a church, when I'm, sitting, when I'm worshiping in a church, if the worship leader says, raise your hands, and I love Jesus, my first thought is, you can't make me. <laughs> right? I mean, just instant obedience. How do you do with instant obedience? If, if like the scale of 1 to 10 for just any kind of obedience, kicking and screaming, if you're like at a 4 or 5, then instant obedience, we're negative numbers now, right? I mean, we're way down the scale. David instantly obeyed. Instantly. Where are you in that area? We expect that from our kids, don't you? Is that bad as a parent? Don't ask me why. Just say yes. I say jump, say how high. And smile about it, right? Don't give me a lip. Don't back talk. I didn't know what back talk was till I was a kid. Like, Back talk? I don't, even know if, I don't even know if I know what it is now, but I say it. Don't back talk me. Don't make me pull this car over, right? Don't make me take away your iPod. Now, you know, as I need to use it to look something up, right? You're grounded. Back. 
Like, we expect this from our kids. How much more does our Heavenly Father expect, actually deserve, instant obedience from His kids? Like, if, if there's ever been a father that can be trusted, wouldn't it be God? I mean, we don't like that, but it's true. It would be God. If there's ever been a father that, that can, we can take him at his word, everything he's going to do is for our good and his glory. If there's ever been a dad who we could trust, it's got to be God. And we still look at him and go, why? It's crazy. David obeyed. He instantly obeyed. He, he paid. Um, just real quick, here in this passage, it says that he paid 50 shekels of silver. And um, in another passage in Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 21, you can just jot that down. It says that he paid 15 pounds of gold. So, you know, right away we kind of kind of deal with that. Like, was, is it silver or is it gold? Is it, is, it, is it a contradiction? Is this the part of Scripture where all of our friends that don't believe in Jesus say, well, if you could just answer that contradiction, I would give my heart to Jesus. And if that ever happens, you're like, score, because I know the answer, Right? The, the silver was like a down payment. The gold was like the payment in full. But here's the bottom line. He paid a lot to buy a threshing floor. In today's money, he paid about $300,000 to buy this threshing floor. It's a lot of coin, right? I mean, we'll go to Walmart and drop $25 all day long. Right? I mean, I'll go to Walmart to buy gum and walk out with a pool. How does that work? You know, I'm just here to get some gum, but I need that and that, and I'm pretty sure I need that. And like 100 bucks later, you're out the door. And we could drop money like, like, but man, when you're really spending a lot of, like if you're spending a lot of money, aren't you researching? I mean, am I, am I the only one? Like, you know, it, it, it took Wendy like five years to buy a couch, you know, because she's just researching and researching. And, 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 and if we're going to buy like a car, it takes me forever because I want to, if you're dropping a lot of money, you want to know where that money's going, don't, don't you? Don't you? Okay, just making sure I got the right crowd. Because if you don't care about spending, just give me the money. He dropped $300,000. 300,000. 15 pounds and 50 shekels of silver, of, of gold and silver on this threshing floor. So let's at least, let's at least understand that it costs something to obey. Remember that verse I said we should highlight? I, I insist on paying for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God offerings that cost me nothing. Like the American church, I, I pastor an American church. Like we need to highlight that because we are all about just give it to me, baby. Make it eat. Come on. I love Jesus. Don't make it hard. You know I love Jesus. Don't, make, don't tell me it costs me anything. I, don't be legalistic. But your obedience costs something. It's costing more in our country today, isn't it? I mean, we prayed for Charleston to start the service off. It cost those people something to obey, to be where they were. It, it, we don't understand that really in America. Other countries definitely understand there's a cost to obey. I remember this is way back, like Parker was a little kid, and we're trying to explain, like, you know, closed countries and open countries. If you're into missions, you know what this means. An open country means you can just talk about Jesus anywhere you want, have church service, whatever, but closed countries, you can't talk about Jesus. Like, you got to go underground, right? And so we were trying to explain to him, like, you know, China's an underground country, it's closed, can't really talk about Jesus, and, and then he got it. He's totally got it because he walked up to Wendy one day and he was like, hey, Mom, if I lived in China, I couldn't do this. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Yeah. And we're like, dude, even in America, 
even in America, don't do that. <laughs> There's some things you, you can't do in other countries. It costs something to be obedient in other countries. We haven't really had to pay a price in America, but we will. But just know this, obedience costs something. What did David buy for $300,000? Maybe you are smarter than me. When I used to read Threshing Floor, I would go, Threshing Floor, that's like a barn stall, right? Like that's where they put the, the horses and the cows. Let me tell you what he got for $300,000. Threshing Floor. So back in the day, they would find this hill, this perfect hillside, because the breeze would blow up over the hill, right? And so they'd build the threshing floor on top of that. And it was just like a circular area. They'd build like a little stone wall, two to three feet high. And it was dirt-packed inside. And they would go out at night. They would, like, use these, these, um, these sledges that were really sharp. And they had these really sharp instruments. And they would start cutting the wheat. And they'd cut it, and the blaze would slice through it. It's dark at night. It's violent. All the steel stuff going on. It's like an R-rated movie. And it's crazy. And, and so what would happen, when they got all that done, they would take these huge pitchforks. And they would just, like, stick it. And they would throw it up in the air. And so... The heavier stuff would just fall down, and then like, the, so like the, the, the wheat, and then like the chaff, and then like the kernels would fall here, and everything else would be blown away. And that's how they would separate like all the bad stuff from the good stuff, because they want to get, you want to get to the good kernel. So that's, that's the threshing floor. It's not pretty. It's fairly ugly. It's very violent. Lots of wind. Chaos. He bought that for $300,000. I keep thinking, like, wouldn't it be great if you could do your laundry like that? Just take a pile of laundry and just turn the fan on and just throw it up. And, like, you know, lights, darks, like, they just, pastels, they just fall down neatly folded in a pile. Like, you're, you would believe that there's a God, teenagers. You would believe there's a God if you could go in your room and clean your room like that, Right? Be great. All the trash ends up in the right place, all the clothes, everything under the bed. You call your parents in and go, ta-da! How did you do it? Must be the threshing floor, right? It's weird. He bought that for $300,000. What would we, if we were picturing like the perfect place to give God, to build an altar for God, what does our perfect place look like? Air conditioning for sure. Really nice light show, some smoke and fog machines, really nice altar. Don't give me that old wooden floor stuff. Give me something padded. We, we go big, don't we? We make it as comfortable as possible so we can worship God in as much comfort as possible. But God told David to buy a place of violence, a place of, of chaos, an uncomfortable place so he could offer sacrifices to God. And obedience costs something. And, and, and I just want to say this. When you, start, when you start valuing your relationship with God, and I'm not trying to imply that like, we're more spiritual because we have all like, none of that comfortable stuff because that doesn't make us spiritual. What I'm saying is I think sometimes that we have the wrong picture of what we should have to worship God. He doesn't look for you to worship him in comfort. This morning, what's making news nationally is church and, and believers in Christ are worshiping in Charleston in discomfort. And people are going, dang, like they worship it in that? Those people are serious about who they're worshiping. 
See, that's the point. This is what David bought. And when we start to value, why would you spend that kind of money on that kind of a place? Why would David spend $300,000 on a threshing floor at the top of a hill where it's chaotic and it's windy and stuff's just a mess and you don't know if it's up or down? Why would he spend that kind of money? One reason, he valued his God. He wanted to worship his God there. He obeyed what his father was telling him. And when, when you start loving Jesus like that, People are going to think you're crazy. I'm just telling you. They're going to think you're crazy. 20 years of youth pastoring, when teenagers really got passionate about Jesus, I was the youth pastor that would turn to them and say, listen, you need to understand something. Because the first thing to say is, man, my friends at school that don't love Jesus, they're going to think I'm crazy. I was like, no, your friends are going to be cool with it. The people in your youth group, they're going to struggle. They're going to think you're nuts. They're going to say things like, calm down. Don't be so crazy about Jesus, dude. Like, it's okay to read a couple days a week in the Bible. But like this whole thing about, I'm going to read the Bible in a week. Are you crazy? Get a life. You never hear that from people that don't love Jesus. You only hear that from people who are supposed to be loving Jesus and now are revealed as shams because of the people who are passionate about Jesus. That was way too hard for a Father's Day message. I'm sorry. Matthew 13, 44 through 46 This is a man who gets it. Let me read his story real quick. Matthew 13. I think we've got it up on the screens for you as well. Matthew 13, 44 to 46. You've probably heard about this story. Let me just read it so you you know what's in the Bible. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything that he had, bought, he had and bought it. I want you to notice in verse 44, it says that when the man found that treasure in a field, he hid it again, right? Made sure nobody could find it. And then he went away in his joy and sold all he had and bought the field. Like, he didn't go away going, geez, like i got to sell everything? Because he had found something of infinitely more value than what he had. And he went away. I mean, here's a guy like digging something up, finding treasure and going, OMG goodness, right? Digging, burying it again and like running off as fast as you can. Like make, keeps looking back and hope nobody, hope nobody else is coming. Like can't sell his stuff fast enough to go back and buy that field. Man, that's the person who values what he's buying. You start loving Jesus like that, you start valuing Jesus like that, people are going to think you're crazy. Um, a few years back, Donald Miller wrote a book called Blue Light Jazz. I love this part of it. He said he was, he was interviewing a guy. He had a friend who was interviewing a man for a book that he was writing, and here's what he wrote. A guy I know named Alan went around the country asking ministry leaders questions. He went to successful churches and asked them why what they were doing was working. It sounded very boring except for one visit he made to a man named Bill Bright the president of a big ministry, which is Campus Crusade, now called Crew. Alan said he was a big man, full of life, who listened without shifting his eyes. Alan asked a few questions. I don't know what they were, but as the final question, he asked Dr. Bright, what does Jesus mean to you? Alan said Dr. Bright couldn't answer the question. He just started to cry. He sat there in his big chair behind his big desk and wept. 
When Alan told that story, I wondered what it was like to love Jesus like that. I wondered, quite honestly, if that Bill Bright guy was just nuts or if he really knew Jesus in a personal way so well that he would cry at the very mention of his name. I knew then that I would like to know Jesus like that with my heart and not just my head. I felt like that might be the key to something. Listen, some of you, you love Jesus like that. Some of you have have paid a high price to obey Jesus. And when you pay a high price to obey Jesus, your love for Jesus just gets deeper, even more solidified. Some of you have given up life, dreams, hopes. You've seen them turned upside down. I've lived those moments. A lot of us in here have. Some of you are living them right now. Like your, your whole, like, God, I've given you everything I have, everything, everything. And all I got in return was this crazy place in my life where everything's upside down, the wind is blowing, it's dark. I don't know if I'm coming or going. Are you kidding me? This is what I got for what I gave to you? Some of you are there. Your obedience is costing you. I want you to know, as someone who's been there, that it's worth it to be on the threshing floor with God. Because when he cuts you there, he cuts you so deep there, he plants these seeds down deep in your soul, and they grow, and they grow, and they grow, and they bear so much fruit, and they can never be pulled out. That's what he does on the threshing floor. David obeyed. David paid, and the last thing he did was he played. I don't mean volleyball. Um, I don't think he played volleyball on the threshing floor. What I mean is, and this is the important part for, for dads especially this morning, he played his part in God's plan. He did what he was supposed to do. Um, I would never noticed this before, but I'm going to ask you just to real quickly um, keep your finger there in Samuel, but turn over to 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible with you and you're just taking notes, make sure you jot that down. 2 Chronicles 3.1. David, David's dream, I don't know what your dream is, but David's dream had always been to build a temple. He'd always wanted to build a temple, and he didn't get to. His son built the temple. And here's what I want you to see. 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1 says this. Then Solomon, Solomon is David's son, then Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. Now, make sure you get this. I've got dreams, right? And I would love to do them. Like, I, I'm not lying. Maybe it's a silly dream to some of you. I'd love to be on the amazing race. Love to be on the amazing race. But listen, with Richard, we'll be going together. You'll have to get someone else to do the sound and preaching. The church will be so much better if we actually went, probably, for that time. Um, but I would love to do that, but you know what would happen? If I grew up and I was like 85 years old and I could barely see, but what I got to see was one of my kids be on the amazing race, that'd be cool, right? This is kind of what's happening here. David has a dream, and he doesn't get to do it. And so he can either be ticked at God about that, or he can play his part in the kingdom of God. And we just did Esther, so this should be very familiar to all of us, right? And here's what happens when you play your part. Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David. Where was he building it? It was on the threshing floor of Aruanah, the Jebusite, the place provided by David. You've got to get this, right? David's son is building a temple for God 
on the threshing floor that his father's obedience purchased for him. He played his part. If we're simply willing to obey and pay and play our part, somewhere down the road, God brings his plan together. Somewhere, in some way, he brings it all together. Sometimes we, we just get antsy, right? Um, we, we start to do the whole, like, stick our foot out. Why, God? Why? Why am I going through this? And like, I don't think God gets mad when we ask that question any more than parents do when their kids ask that question. <laughs> parents are like, shut up. Can I say that? Can I say that? Why do you keep asking me why? 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 Sometimes, like, we just get antsy. We don't understand. We're like Matthew 17, 17. I love that. You don't have to turn there and just shout it down. That's the verse, really spiritual verse in the Bible where Jesus is talking about his disciples, looks at them and goes, how long am I going to have to put up with you? <laughs> you ever feel like Jesus says that to you? How long do I have to put up with you? Like, come on. That's, that's what happens when we play our part. We simply kind of get past all those moments where our hands are on our hips and we're looking at God. And we just get past that moment and go, you know what, I've got a part to play. I might not get to build the temple, but you're calling me to buy this, and this, my obedience is going to cost me something. I'm going to do this. I'm going to stay true to it. And he didn't even know that year, years later his son is building the temple on the very place that he just bought. During one of the moments when I was um, on the threshing floor and I was whining and complaining to God, he asked me to read Jeremiah 29, 11. A lot of you know this one because it's like your life verse, and so we'll just... Turn to it and read it as we're wrapping up. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this. And he's like, read it, to, read it to him, Paul. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. And he's like, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Read that again. Read it again. It's like, okay, okay, I'll read it again. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to get Paul. Paul, slower. Really read it. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. He's like, who has the plan, Paul? You do. And I, I've never heard God speak audibly, but this is as close as I ever got. And he said to me, isn't that enough? All right, you win, God. Isn't that enough? Like, you're all jacked up about, is it going to be good or bad or what's going to happen? Or, but I have the plan, and I'm your father, and I'm a good father. And if I've got a plan, and, it's, and I said it's a good plan, isn't that enough? Do you have to know every little detail? Or is it enough for you just to know that I, as your father, have a plan for you? And it's a good one. God said in Psalm 139, he knit me together in my mother's womb. He knows the plans for my life. David wanted to play his part even at a great personal cost. Simply, simply to make sure that the legacy had a foundation to build on. So I'm thinking it's time that we paid our, our own price. We played our own part. We stopped living off the price that other people have paid. I think it's time that we start to trust God. That we start to say, you know, years from now when my kids have kids and their kids have kids and then their kids have kids, and I don't know what that makes me, I'm probably like a grand, grand, grand something. So I'll be like grand, 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 grandpappy, right? That would be me. And somewhere they're having like this get-together and they're chowing on food. And so they say like way back in the day, 
All of what's happening today, all of this that God's doing in our lives, all this started because way back, your, grand, your great, 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 great grandpappy Paul, he had this moment where he could have just thrown it all away and cashed it all in and said, God, I'm out. I'm tired of me giving you my best and you seeming to give me your worst and I'm done. But he didn't do that. He stood on a threshing floor and he said, cut me, plant stuff deep in me. I will pay with my obedience to have this place. And because your great, 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 great grandpappy Paul did that, we're here today. That's what I'm calling you to. That's the kind of legacy I want to leave. That's the kind of legacy fathers want to leave. I want to pay that kind of a price. I want them to look at my life and say that I bought for them maybe what they wouldn't have been able to buy for themselves. A life of trust, knowing that God's plan is a good one. When I was raising the kids and they were a lot smaller and every now and then I would say to them stuff like this, hey, I got a great idea, let's go do something fun. And they're like, what are we going to do? What are we gonna, what, 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 like, what, fun, like fun, like, like play something, like, it's like eat something. Like, I, I, it's a surprise. I know, but like what kind of surprise? A, a good surprise. I kept like, when will we get there? Whenever you get in the van. Okay, so like walking out the door, open up before they even get to the van. Like, is it going to take a long time to get there? Like, is it, is it, is it like over there? Is it like that way? Um, it's a surprise. When will we find out? When you get in the van. Open the van door. Climbing into the van. Like, are we, I mean, we going to really, really like it? Like, are we going to play stuff? Are we going like, to have to run? Do we need to get our bathing suits? Do we need a towel? Do, do, get in the van. Finally get in the van. I'm cranking it up. Like, they're backing down the drive. Like, they're talking about it. Just, just sit in the van. I'm your father. I'm a good father, best you got, and I've got a surprise, and we'll get there when you get in the van. Listen, I'm telling you something, that's God with us, isn't it? I mean, you see it, we're like, God, what are you doing? It's like, I've got a plan for you. It's a good plan, but, but like, God, when will I find out? It's like, get in the van, but, but is it a long time? Is it, is it going like, to take years? I mean, am I, is she going to be pretty? Just get in the van. You just see Jesus going, how long do I have to put up with you? Just get in the van. That's God's word to us. You want to leave a legacy for your kids, Dad? Get in the van. Just get in the van. Buckle up and let your God take you where he wants. Let him lead you where he wants you to be. You'll leave a legacy for your kids. It's the one thing that we all desire, that no matter what we're facing, whether we really understand it or not, we want to be the kind of men that's like a rugged, toe-the-line, all-in kind of trust with God. And that happens when we get in the van. Here's what I know. When dads get in the van, families tend to get in the van too. This stat blows my mind. I'm going to give you this stat, and then we're going to be ready to cue that video, and then I'll come back up and pray, and we're out. Listen to this stat. 
Fathers have the greatest influence over their children's spiritual lives than anyone else. Now listen, go back to the beginning of the, the, beginning of the message. I, I told you these stats, it'll make you just it'll break your heart, right? 43% of kids don't have a father in the home. We watch this little kid say, I want you to be my daddy. Like, can we, I mean, just break your heart, okay? So you've got to understand this. These are not intended to break your heart. These are just intended to highlight how important a father's role is. And you're in a church that understands this. Though you might be in a family that doesn't have a, ch- a father, you're in a church family that believes wholeheartedly that we have a calling to be spiritual fathers to you. We're not letting people. that Think about like the, the, we should take care of widows and orphans. God meant that. Many times in the Bible when he says, like, this is pure religion, not that you gather for church on Sunday, but that you take care of widows and orphans, God cares about the fatherless. You understand that? You're in a, you're in a place that gets that. And so if you can't meet these stats in your own home, you're surrounded by people that want to help you live this out. Just listen to the influence that fathers have. An actual study was done in homes where fathers never attend church. Only 2% of those children grow up to attend church and become actual followers of Jesus. 2%. The reverse. 94% of believing fathers will lead their entire family to faith in Christ. Now I'm skeptical, right? I go, 94%? That seems a little high. Maybe we need to qualify. What does believing father mean? I'm just going to say this. I think what they're saying is 94% of fathers who are wholeheartedly following Jesus, who are in the van, buckled up, trusting God to drive them, 94% of those fathers have their family in the van with them. But even if 94% is high, what if it was 75% or 50%? It's a whole lot better than 2%, isn't it? A whole lot better because dads have a huge impact on their families. Let's roll that video and I'll come back up. All right, so we probably need to end this morning praying for dads. What do you say? So how about we get the dads to stand up where you are? Dads, stand up where you are. I can't. It's my first time here. All the better. And um, we're going to let your families, if you've got families here with you, um, you guys just go ahead and put your hand on their shoulders. Um, we're going to pray over you guys. Go find your dads. I know a lot of kids are down in Kid City. It's all good. Make sure dads, no, but let's make sure no dads by themselves, okay? We're going to pray for the fathers of the church. Toughest job in the world, leading a family. Whew. It's like herding cats. The payoff is amazing. The payoff is amazing. Legacy is a powerful thing. So we just want to pray this morning. I know that you could be here and not know Jesus. It's very possible that you are. Um, Let me just say this. When we get done today, if you want to know more about that, you can come see me. You can fill out the card in front of you. You can check. I'm choosing to follow Jesus. We'll we'll get in touch with you. We'll make sure you have what you need. Um, Today, we want to end just praying for dads, okay? We want to pray for these fathers, that they would have strength and influence, that they would um, embrace the role with passion, to point their families to Jesus. And then we want to pray for families here that don't have fathers in the home. I will say this. If you're here this morning you don't have a father in your home, the men that, you're, that we're praying for right now, you could go to any one of these men and say, I need your help. 
And most of them, I know, would say yes. Okay? Let's just pray. Father, thank you for, thank you for influence. I thank you for this job that we have, this role that we have. <laughs> um, I pray, God, that you would strengthen fathers, that they would, come on, you got to come up here. It's a little awkward, sorry. That they would know, Lord, that they are loved by you. First and foremost, God, fathers are followers of Jesus. And in that regard, I pray that they would follow more closely than they ever have before. The stakes feel like they go up when we're following you and we look behind us and realize that there are people in our home that are following us. And I just pray, God, that they would be driven to you more and more because of that one fact. We pray that this church would be a, a place where fathers would be welcomed where men would actually enjoy coming to church where they would be empowered to lead their families well and we pray that this would be a place got a safe place for for moms and kids families that that don't have the father in the home that they would find here a place where they would be loved Where heartbreaking statistics would be reversed. And destinies would be changed because of your redemption and not the choices of other people. Thank you for allowing us as dads in some small, very, very small way to point our kids to a greater father. And on this day, when half a nation celebrates and half a nation mourns, I pray that you would be near to the brokenhearted and that you would be their father. In your name, Jesus. Amen.